Are you still are you still on your vacation? No. I'm back. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm back in the saddle. Did did you I my my wife sent me that. Did you tweet or Instagram that today or or which that that picture of where, where you were hanging out oh, recently? Yeah, with uh with Joe. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I um that was from last week. That was in in Yucca Valley. Um I'll actually I'll, nice. I'll, I will pin it to this this I never really talk about uh, <laughs> my love life um on on the Twitterverse, but uh it seemed to to hit a nerve. I don't know if it's like, you know, the humanizing aspect or just because, you know, Joe's such a babe. Um <laughs> I, I won't read between the two lines there, but let me find it here. Ah, oh, there it is. Um, it was it was a nice Airbnb too. Oh my god, it was a gorgeous Airbnb. Um if you if you go through the the commentary or conversation that's happening there, um, you'll be able to see kind of the uh, Airbnb that we used for that. So, you know, can can I say something? Um, this is <laughs> of course this is this is neither here nor there. But I just had a thing today where I was trying to get in touch with somebody for like two weeks, okay. and um, this is a somebody that is important enough to have people, and the people were giving me a runaround, and I it was clear they were giving me a runaround, and they were being vague about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so to the point where I reached out to this person directly and I was like, are your people giving me the runaround or what's going on? And this person said, yeah, dude, I'm fucked. <laughs> like I'm, I, I, I I'll, I'll get to you when I can get to you. And, and the reason that I'm pointing this out is because sometimes people just need to check out. And also I thought it was important because I, I said back to this person, your people are doing their job. Because mm-hmm. they kept they kept me on the hook without like you know, so I I just appreciated that it, it was like listen, this person needs a break, and uh, they'll get to you, and um, you know, so I, I I just feel like especially now in the summer that's worth noting that sometimes people aren't available. This happened, yes, yes. So I was, um, I mean, I was, I was probably more available than I should have been in some respects. I just, you know, I kind of can't turn off. But on the other hand, for the most part, I was trying to not be uh, doing all the things that I normally do, and I'm, you know, consuming the fire hose of information and everything that's going on. So um, I had a, I had a really, really great time. Um, it was relative. Uh, relatively relaxing. Um, Joe and I are actually, this is a, you know, personal note, uh, moving in together, uh, in September. And so, uh, you know, combining lives is a, is a big move. And, um, you know, we just had lots of things to talk about, uh, about that. Just think about right, the things that I haven't done before, um, before I've moved in with someone. And so, um, it just felt like we needed that break and that separation, I think just to get, you know, to like look eye to eye and be like, okay, we're doing this right. And so, um, yeah, but man, it was it was totally unrelated, and I clearly I'm feeling uncomfortable all of a sudden as as I'm warming up. It was very hot. It was uh, I was I was it was fun. I was driving around um, in uh, Joe's Tesla, and um, of course, last night I got into some flame war with uh, a troll talking about full self driving. But I'll get to that later. And I was just watching, like, because you know, it was in like Palm Springs for the second half. The temperature go from like 109 to like 110 to like 112, all the way up to 117 within a span of like an hour, I was was like, like, this is, this is the future and this is going to be, it's going to be rough, you know, but I guess when we're living in the metaverse and we have uh, air conditioning, it it won't be so bad, but that's going to be later on. That's later on. Oh, I was going to say that's a transition immediate. No, no. So actually I have several things. So first uh, run and run of show. And also let me, let me, let me do the intro and then we'll get started. Um, So, so hello, 
Hello. Welcome, everybody. I am back from my little mini vacation. It is Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. Uh, we are, I mean, we've been past uh, the halfway point for this year for a while, but we are already in August. I just, I can't believe it. Um, this is the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience, where Brian and I go deep into a bunch of tech conversations and topics that we're finding interesting or are happening. We're trying to get a little context to see what's going on. And today, I, I think, will be a pretty big one. Um, I'm excited about this. We've got Janine, uh, who is, is already here in the space, but she's going to be joining us uh, to talk a lot about um, the metaverse and Republic Realm and what's happening there. But um, before we get to that, Brian, uh, you and, and by the way, guys, let's see, we are recording and let's see if you guys have questions. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll work it out, but we're going to kind of keep oh, it. Shit. I just us. realized I, I just started recording. So That's fine. FYI, okay. FYI. Okay. okay. Ah, All I right. got it. We'll figure it out. I, I hope. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, mm. uh, if you see Kevin Rushman in there, he's my cousin. You don't have to bring him up. Unless uh. you have to, but, uh, <laughs> if he raises his hand, uh, you can bring him up at some point, but anyway, go on. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I just, you know, well, obviously we haven't talked, we were off last week, so that's, that's new. I, I don't think we've taken a break in a little while. Um, there's been so many things as usual going on, but there are a few that, that came up, um, I think in yesterday and today's shows that I just kind of wanted to, to get to quickly. Um, following up on the last time we did one of these spaces, uh, the last time when we talked to Ross from Zoom, we did talk a bit about um, what Josh, the then CEO of Product Hunt, had announced, um, which was Hyper. Mm. And I believe it was two days ago. Um, they just announced that their head of product um, is now becoming the new CEO. So within, I think it's eight months, perhaps, Product Hunt has a new CEO. And so we're going to see where Ashley uh, wants to take that platform. But I thought that was just an interesting kind of one-two move. Clearly, uh, if you're watching that, that space closely, like clearly that this was sort of planned and this is like their big move. And so there's, uh, I don't know, I'm watching that space um, pretty intently. But I wanted to quickly jump to several things that you talked about. Um because I feel like you'd asked several questions. One of the questions that I want to know if you actually get some responses to this was mm. about the whole buy now, pay later phenomenon, right? Cause we've had a number of raises, we've had some acquisitions and yeah. like, I feel like there's something here, but I just like to speculate and kind of make shit up because my brain sees so many things, but what have you heard? And actually, well, first give us a little background. Well, oh yeah. So, um, there, I said, um, today and, and maybe all this week that there, there are certain things that I'm surprised about. The, the resilience of them in terms of uh, investment interest in uh, the metaverse is one, but we're going to get mm -hmm. to that later. Yep. Um, the the um, grocery delivery space, um, I'm surprised at how I, I ah, thought that was filled. GoPuff and, and right. GoPuff, yep. yes. Several of them. Mm -hmm. GoPuff, please let me try you out. I want to try you out. But then um, buy now, pay later, because we had um, – what was it? Uh, Monday. I'm bringing up my notes. Uh, a Square uh, bought um, a buy now, pay later mm -hmm. uh, thing for twenty nine billion dollars. Yeah, um, right. there that's are like their so WhatsApp many. moment, right? Like, how much was WhatsApp? Twenty one billion or something? Or eighteen? I think it was eighteen. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty penny. And so, but but one of the things about that is is that. I, I said uh, either it was today or yesterday, forgive me for not knowing these things, but um, <laughs> I, 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 I said that I, I could have done five or six interesting raises about this space. Like, so this yeah. is like the grocery delivery space. I was like, well, wait, uh, isn't this already filled? 
um, haven't people like Affirm or um, Afterpay, which is who Square bought, haven't they haven't they solved this problem? Why why is this such an interesting thing? And by the way, um, so the tweets can stop. Um, yes, um, uh, Ben Thompson wrote about it today, and I read the article right mm. after I published. Um, and so, can I go into that just for a second, real go quick? Go for it. Yep. Because uh, I mentioned that um, we use it for my uh, e-commerce company because uh, a firm got integrated with um, Shopify. And so if you understand um, the way merchant accounts work and, and taking credit cards for payment and things like that, you, you, you pay basically three point something percent for every credit card thing. So if you buy from my company a $100 item, I have to give three dollars and usually like thirty cents uh, mm. for the to, for the credit cards if you buy from Visa or, or American Express is a little more or whatever. And so essentially, what the Affirm thing does is um, take six percent, so double that. Hmm. Now hmm. I don't know if that's all all of these uh, buy now pay later things do that the same way. Um, and also I don't know if this the, the integration I use is through Shopify, so I don't know if that's a little different or whatever, but what I learned from Ben Thompson's piece is that that's basically it. They just basically doubled the fee, and most of the fees made in the credit card business are from the merchant. They're not from the consumer. Right, right. And so you always think, oh, well, the credit card companies make all their money because if you only pay the minimum balance, then they get to you know charge you a 24% APR or whatever the hell they do. That's not really it. The real money is essentially in that 3% fee. And so essentially the buy now, pay later thing just doubled that. So that's a good business. Mm. And then according to Ben Thompson, it's also because, um, you know, uh, I can't, we, we can't blame millennials anymore because now it's Gen Z. Uh, but the, the young folks love this. Yeah, love the idea that you can pay in installments. So um, if you uh, if you it, it, put that in the notes, Chris, or in the link, um, if you can mm-hmm. find that piece, um, that basically explained okay. it to me. I think. Okay, I've got two. I guess so. So there's that one. I'm going to do my thing where I'm pinning tweets. Um, I'm tw- I actually I talked to Danny, who's the product manager on Twitter Spaces, and I'm like, I just need a better way, like a like a hopper or some buffer where I can put the links that I want to share. Anyways, maybe they'll, they'll get there. One thing that I just saw, and we're going to go into to this little thing a little bit because I think it's actually, it is significant for two reasons. One is that consumer behavior is changing when it comes to money. Credit cards are bad. Credit cards are evil, just like Facebook is evil and social media is evil. And so they're looking for better ways of kind of, I think, kicking negative habits. And so what, it, what, is, it, what is interesting about a firm, actually, if you go to the link that I just pinned, um, they are talking about something that the, like the affirm advantage is adaptive checkout. Now, this is their messaging to businesses. Now, here's why this is important, because every time and, and this is, you know, when software eats the world and the Internet takes over all communication and kind of, you know, digital interactions, everything can become personalized. So if I go to a shop and I take out my credit card and I pay, everyone pays the same thing. Everyone gets the same rate. Everyone has the same payment terms. Right. But with a firm. From what I'm reading, anyways, is that if there is a purchase price that is, let's say, high or too high for me, a firm basically calculates based on what it knows about the user who's shown up on the site through whatever kind of tracking magic it uses to provide me a personalized payment plan in the moment that is targeted at my budget and how much I can afford. Mm. So it's actually, on the one hand, empowering to consumers who want to buy things. 
And it's also better for the business because it's going to increase conversion because right. now you're doing variable type pricing, just like Uber does, so to the when, customer. When we talk about fintech, yeah. this is what we mean in, exactly. in, in, in two ways, which is number one, it's smarter in terms of like, it's not just a one size fits all thing. And also, by the way, what I learned from that Ben Thompson thing is that um, if you do it in these like six week long things, it's not technically a loan. So for various Uh, SEC reasons, it's not like a credit card loan and things like that. But then number two, what you said is extremely important. A lot of FinTech is just making it simpler to buy. Okay, so that, as dumb as this is, if oh you God. can it's, it's convert, so big like friction. If is, you if you yeah. can con- if you can make it five percent easier for a sale to go through, and that, we're talking about shopping cart abandonment, we're talking about like uh, you know uh, um, uh, how many steps through checkout, so things like Gumroad I talked about today, and things like. It, that's what fintech is, is just making it easier to buy. I mean, it's like a UX of, layer on money, you know, and yeah, finance. Yeah, and yeah. bringing all the machinery that was, you know, foisted at our brains and our human connections and relationships over the last decade to our commercial interactions. That's that's what's happening. And that's why this is so important and such a big deal, is that once you move into the digital world, you remove all of the assumptions that were the foundation foundational structures upon which so many other businesses have been built and now can't move. This is like the perfect example of the innovator's dilemma. Like you've built a structure that works and to move away from it means busting your business. Whereas the job to be done actually can't be reconsidered because you're far too invested in the way things actually already function. But that's also the APIization Mm-hmm. That fintech does, where it doesn't. Okay, I'm going to use uh, my company again, which I'm not going to name because I, I I never mention my company. But <laughs> um, it's a it's a it's a 288 dollar average uh, product in okay. terms of the, the the order total. So that's a big product. So th- the day that we can be like, instead of having to pay 288 dollars or 300 dollars upfront, yep. you can split that into four payments. Well. I've wanted to do that for years. Mm, and yep. what happened one day is we're on Shopify and they're just like, hey, you want to do this? Check a box. <laughs> Click a box and yep. you can do this. And yep. I didn't have to I didn't have to do the thing. And now we're approaching 10% of our, our order totals um, are through so there, that. There you go. So you asked the question, right? And I think we have your answer. You asked the question, what's the deal with all these buy now, pay later things? And it's this. It's this variable pricing, personalized finance, get people to convert. And why is Apple doing this? Because they need to expand the size of their marketplace. They need to expand the number of of consumers who can afford partial and fractional ownership of Apple devices to get them into the services ecosystem. So Apple doesn't care when they get your money, as long as they eventually get your money. And that's how the Apple loop works. And so for any other tech company or just company in general that doesn't move in this direction, that starts to take your money as soon as you have purchase intent, no matter how much of that money it is, they're going to get blown away. They're going to miss the opportunity. Now, one thing I did tweet yesterday was, uh, why do this through a firm? Mm. Why can't Apple do this themselves? And then I was even cheekily saying like, uh, will Apple buy a firm and things like that? But uh, I, I can't remember what a firm's market cap is. I looked it up yesterday. It's like $40, $50 billion or something. Uh, but, you know, Apple could yeah, afford that. Easily. But, mm-hmm. um, right. But Apple could also still do these things by themselves, except for the fact that they don't. Even the Apple 
card is with uh, Goldman Sachs. So yep. I don't know. Yep. Um, I, you know, there's now, now, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak out of turn, so to speak, but uh, now that I'm working at a FinTech uh, personally, you know, I'm much more aware of regulations and regulatory behavior and things like that. And so I'm sure Apple has an interest in maintaining a certain paywall around the types of businesses that it gets into, uh, especially from an international perspective. And so if it acquires a firm, it may not actually be able to operate in other countries where maybe a firm doesn't have the licenses or doesn't operate and so forth. So there may be an element to that where just in terms of either the business maturity or the business footprint, you know, requires that they not, that they not do that. So, okay. I didn't want, I want to, I don't want to like, you know, like have too much of a lead in, but I think, I think we get yes, the story yes. now. It's okay. The other thing that I wanted to mention quickly, and this is, I, I suppose, because I have a personal, you know, kind of connection to this is, is that superhuman just raised $75 million. Um, they're not even launched. Yeah. This seems a little bit absurd. Um, I've got to say that I am pretty disappointed with uh, the cadence of their releases and the ambition of their releases. You know, if I were to wildly speculate, I would say that it's a poorly run company that, you know, essentially figured out, you know, they could bring keyboard shortcuts, um, you know, and a slightly pared down interface to Gmail. Tread carefully. There was a whole brouhaha a couple hours ago. (laughs) I I know. Like I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm not exactly holding, but like I'm, I'm, I have spent a lot of money on superhuman and I probably will. And the reason is this, that when I confront or find issues or have challenges, I can email someone and I get a response. Now I've never emailed. I don't even know what the email address would be for Gmail support, but I, it just doesn't feel like you, I don't know. I Mm. even have Google Mm. one. I don't know that I'm able to get any kind of support whatsoever with Gmail. It's like, take oh, it God, or leave no. it. It's God, a free no. service, right? Exactly. God, no. But I get, I get like a response from superhuman in like, you know, two to three hours. And that meaningfully means that I can keep moving, you know, at the cadence that I need to. And so overall that like, just as a concierge like service is worth it. So I don't know about the money thing. You know, they talked a lot about all sorts of new bloat and uh, adding features and stuff like that in their blog posts. Are you, um, can I ask you yeah. uh, real quick, you're, you're saying you're disappointed at their cadence. What does that mean that they're not, um, they're not evolving the product fast yeah. enough. They're not like opening it up to as many, there's still something, what did they say? Like 650,000 people on their wow. wait list or something like that or 450,000. I can't That's, remember what I said. Yeah. I mean, you know, their user base is incredibly, incredibly valuable, right? Cause these are people who are, you know, one willing and able to spend 30 bucks a month. And those are individuals. Like they don't even have like, I think they might have teams or like the enterprise edition or whatever, but like they don't really have, they haven't really gone into productivity. They don't have a task manager. Uh, I actually interviewed at superhuman, uh, for a design role way, way back when, um, and it wasn't the right fit at the time, but you know, we, we had talked a lot about the different directions that they could go in. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious that you're just going to replace all the functionality of outlook because that's going to be, I guess like your, your target audience, you know, where you can actually make made headwinds. I mean, yes, Gmail fine, but people are used to free. So not a big deal, but people who are in the corporate office more likely could spend a little bit money on productivity, but everything that happened last year, you know, they, they just really stayed stuck within the, the email paradigm. Um, and I just felt like, I don't know, there could be more so productivity, more calendaring, stuff like that. Like, slow. They're being slow. Yeah. So slow, yeah. so slow. Mm. So, but are you still happy with the product? I, you know, I use it every day. So oh, okay. I, I, I will say, you know, there, there are some technical issues uh, from a caching perspective. That's one of the ways that it actually achieves speed. So on every device that I install Superhuman, it downloads 20 gigabytes of email so it can search it quickly. And it's kind of like, uh, like, 
st- stuff like that is just a little bit more annoying. Um, and you know, now that I, you know, work at Republic, I have a, a Gmail account that I use and, um, some of the, the features, you know, autocomplete auto suggestion, um, the smart compose, that stuff is nice. It's nice to see that stuff. So I hope superhuman gets there. Um, but it, it was interesting anyways, you know, Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Yeah, uh, and some of the brouhaha that happened a couple hours ago kind of is along those lines where people are like, what's up with this? But whatever. It's polarizing. Okay, the last thing yeah. the last thing I want to bring up uh, was the Alexa-powered soap dispenser um, because I had, a, <laughs> I had a great tweet about it. Oh, I know what it was. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find this. Uh, well, anyways, it was uh, what I say. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I think that's what I said. Um, I'm going to search for the just because. Let's see if I can find the tweet. People seem to respond positively. Yep. Yep. It almost went viral. Not quite. I don't know. Like I have like mini viral pops. They're sort of like, you know, they're, they're little fizzles. Mm. It's sort of like a, you know, sparkly water kind of like, you know, pop. But anyways, so that was the tweet just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And you actually had a really, I thought, you know, good uh, discussion of this where you uh, referenced uh, Ben Evans, uh, Benedict Evans, formerly of Andreessen Horowitz. Um, when he first wrote about, or I wouldn't say first, but wrote about voice assistants in, in that whole world back in 2018. And uh, this is this is intentional. I'm going to read this part, and you'll understand why in a second. So mm, this, is, mm. this is Benedict Evans writing about voice assistants um, back in 2018. And this, this is what you brought up uh, in reference to the Amazon Smart Soap dispenser, which, of course, you can talk to and it tells you jokes or whatever. Here's what he said. Many of the things that a connection or – I'm sorry – Many of the things that get a connection or become, quote, smart in some way will seem silly to us, just as many things that got electrified would seem silly to our grandparents. Tell them that you have a button to adjust the mirrors in your car or a machine to chop vegetables, and they'd think you were soft in the head. But that's how the deployment of the technology happened and how it will happen again. The technology will be there and will become very, very cheap, so it will slide unnoticed into our lives. On the other hand, many things that people did think might get electrified did not. And many of the ideas that did work were not adopted in a uniform way. Most people in the UK have an uh, an electric kettle, but that's not true in the USA. And most people in Japan have a rice cooker, but this in turn isn't true in the UK. Anyone who's baked a few times has bought an electric whisk for $20, but not many people use electric carving knives. The smart home or connected home or internet of things, choose your term, will probably look much the same. Electrical components became cheap commodities that let people experiment with all sorts of ideas. Today, 
the smartphone supply chain is a firehose of cheap commodity components that, again, let people experiment with all sorts of ideas for smart things. Some will work, some won't, but our children will take the ones that do work for granted. And this leads us directly into the metaverse. <laughs> Uh, why? Because um, uh, everything that we think we should do is not going to turn out the way we think it will? Or <laughs> Yes. So one of the things I think that would be useful for our conversation, and now I'd, I'd love to have uh, Jeanine come up um, and introduce herself and, and tell us a little bit about how she got to Republic and what she's doing now. And she's a little bit like me. She's sort of like chameleon-like, does a bunch of things. But you know, when, when I was reading your analysis on or, or thinking about this analysis of uh, a soap dispenser that has a voice assistant built into it, you know, instantly you, you kind of think, wow, that's dumb. Um, and yet, you know, in some respects, the fact that we wave our hands kind of under a faucet to like turn it on and whatnot, you know, if you want to use your voice, like what's the big difference? You know, it becomes so cheap and so available that you just put these sensors in and everything has the ability to, to listen to you and to interpret your commands. In a similar way, the metaverse feels like we have... Um, you know, as as one of my, um, I, I sort of tweeted out about, you know, questions do people have about the metaverse? And one of them was, why why don't enough people in Silicon Valley read the dystopic, you know, uh, portrayals of the metaverse? Um, and I think, you know, many of us have, I certainly have. But part of the problem is that we either assume that it's going to be dystopic because that was a great way to sell books before, or that it's going to look just like Fortnite, you know, or Roblox or things like that. Whereas I think it's going to be both far more... Um, Subtle's not the word and Jermaine's not the word, but kind of like, like plain, kind of ordinary. Like it's just going to seep, like it's, it's already in a way if, and I don't want watch very many sports, but the way in which, for example, they sub in ads, right. Uh, uh, onto billboards or whatever. So that what people are seeing in the stands, if you go to the stands, um, versus what people see at home via television are a different set of ads because they're able to use augmented reality. Well, to me, that is an extension of the metaverse already. It's not exactly a metaverse, perhaps in the way that, you know, it's, it's being defined and maybe we should get into some terms, but it will happen very, very slowly and then very, very fast. And it's important, I think, for us to look at like the things that call themselves or self-describe themselves as the metaverse as possibly being an expression of the metaverse, but that the metaverse itself, I think, contains a larger set of, you know, normative and, mm, I don't know, moder modifications of the reality that we kind of exist in today. And we're all going to be feeling, you know, pieces of, of the elephant, but this elephant is going to be one of the largest elephants that any of us have ever tried to sort of figure out. And so therefore, none of us is going to have a perfectly, uh, I think, you know, specific explanation of it. And I so, have, I have a, a ton of thoughts, but Janine, yes, please, exactly. please, uh, Save us introduce yourself. Do you yes, want me to put you guys please. out of your misery? I <laughs> yes. cut you off at soap dispensers that are voice activated or calling me a chameleon. I prefer butterflies if I have, Oh, to I like that. Metaphor, but, but are you like the, are you in the shape of a, what are they? It's not the worm. It's the caterpillar, the caterpillar. Uh, in the chrysalis. I'm in the chrysalis phase. There you anyway, go. I'm Janine Yorio. I'm actually Chris's colleague. Uh, I work at Republic, um, and I manage Republic Realm, which is Republic's metaverse investment and development platform and company. Um, in a previous life, I started a fintech called Compound that I built and sold to Republic. So as Chris said, I've done 
a few different things throughout the course of my career, and, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today. On the topic of voice-activated soap dispensers, it's funny. <laughs> I think I actually deleted a tweet about this. Um, I used to tweet about just like really mundane things, and I said, I think that show it. The, the world can see that we're nearing the end of days when we're using so much technology just to pump a little squirt of soap on our hands, and it's definitely... <laughs> One of the reasons why people in the emerging world that don't even have access to clean water really hate on Americans because this is how we choose to deploy technology, which clearly has higher and better uses if we put our minds to it. On the, on the broader topic of the metaverse today, it's like, what's it going to look like? I don't think you have to really think that hard. Watch a child interact with the metaverse. It's already here. I have two children. They're eight and 10 years old. They spend a lot more time than I care to admit playing Minecraft and Roblox. Mm-hmm. And 100%, 100%. And, and the way they do it, so my son will have Discord open so that he can be talking to his friends while he's playing Minecraft and he's got YouTube going on in the background. And it is a truly immersive experience. And that's what the metaverse is. It's not this new thing that's going to hit us like a ton of bricks. It's already here. And people, you know how when technology evolves, oftentimes people have to make homemade janky solutions because the the all-encompassing solution doesn't yet exist. That's what the metaverse is. It's got sound. It's got movement. It's interactive. It's social. Um, and it's and it's a departure from the way we all interact with the internet today for the most part, because websites are 2D and the metaverse is 3D. And um, that's, that's the primary difference. And so the fact that you are completely immersed, you can't really do much else when you're in the metaverse, the way you can kind of surf the web and talk on the phone or surf the web and walk down the street, it, it does become that much more of an all-encompassing experience. So I think that's what the metaverse looks like. I think it's already here. I just don't think we have that elegant solution that's tied up with a bow, the one that Mark Zuckerberg is talking about building, the one that all the excitement is about, but we already can see what it looks like. So I just want to add, or, or I guess like clarify two things because, um, you know, Matthew Ball has, has, you know, he's sort of like the canonical, you know, soothsayer about, um, this topic. He's been writing about it for some time. Um, I just pinned uh, a link to his primer, two things that I think seem to come up pretty regularly around the metaverse. Um, and I think are important and they're, related to the internet as it exists today, but there are also modifications. One is the persistence. Um, And so, you know, it never, it never stops. It keeps going. It's sort of like Burning Man. You know, it's like you kind of like can go to sleep, but the party like continues on for those of you who have been. Um, And then the other thing is that, you know, it's, it's live, it's happening real time. And so it's just as though you're in the real world, except obviously everything is sort of fabricated out of a digital substrate. So you're interacting with things and there's persistence and, you know, you can sort of log out of the metaverse, but it doesn't stop. And so I guess like, how does that compare with, you know, like when you play Roblox games, I feel like they're, I mean, they are persistent. They kind of keep going. You can kind of like log off and maybe you'll never go back. And sometimes you will. And, and I, I guess maybe what I'm trying to get at is both presence, but also placefulness, the sense that there are destinations and there are locations. And, you know, the reason why I was excited to bring you on and to help us think through this is one, because of your background in real real estate. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously also the other work that you're doing with virtual real estate and what's happening Mm -hmm. there. And how important is that for one, understanding the opportunity and two, understanding who's going to possibly own these things. And three, when it comes to this real estate, how interoperable are these things going to be? Um, Yeah, but let's start there. That's that's like 19 questions right there. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. Brian will tell you that this is is normal. You can ask just one. No, that's okay. You're like, you're like that guy at the conference that asks the question that takes 10 minutes to ask for, for a yes, no answer. (laughs) <laughs> but 
My so I before I was working in fintech, I actually was in real estate development. I was the head of real estate development at Standard Hotels, and I worked for a creative genius named Andre Balaz, who was genius at placemaking. and And placemaking isn't just about architecture. You can't just build something and expect it to come to life. You have、mm. to have the right people. You have to program it with events. It has to be in the right neighborhood. Things have to be happening there as well. And he really taught me that there is so much more to placemaking because you see it. People come along and try to. Dupe a cool hotel, and you'll walk into it, and it just doesn't have the right vibe. And there's this like thing that you can't put your finger on, and you know that it's fake, and you know that it's not where you want to be because all of those pieces are missing. And all of those same lessons can be applied to the metaverse. It's about content, it's about design, it's about publicity, it's about making sure that influencers are there, but also the right crowd is there.、Um, it's making sure that you do it over and over again, but it also doesn't become so formulaic that people expect. You know that they know exactly what they're going to find. It's about kind of like what Studio Fifty Four taught us back in the seventies and eighties about curating the right crowd and making sure that it's always interesting and always a little、um, surprising. So, like all those same lessons apply to the metaverse, and I think that's why when people go to the metaverse platforms that exist, exist today, they're disappointed because it's not it's not yet firing on all cylinders. We haven't had those really talented placemakers step in and, and figure out how to turn. This kind of boring gamer-driven environment into something that really feels alive and compelling for adults who have come to expect that richness of experience. So that that's part of why I'm so excited about this. Is I think that a lot of what I have learned in my past life is directly ap- applicable to what's happening in the metaverse and what will happen in the coming years. Can I?、Um- Let me let me reframe a little bit.、Um, I feel like a lot of people think that the metaverse is sort of all about gaming, which which I, I I'm going to follow up on that in a second, <laughs> or it's like VR or something like that.、Um, but、um, in your, it sounds like in your vision of it, it's that's too reductive, right? I think that the meta, like, let me think of a, an analogy. The metaverse is to gaming. What the internet is to shopping or porn, right? Like, yes, it's important, and it's probably going to big, be a big revenue driver and a big source of what pushes the sector forward. But like the internet, it really does appeal very broadly, and people will sort themselves differently and find their tribes in different places. And if you're a gamer, you'll be drawn to the gaming platforms, and if you're a shopper, you'll be ch- drawn to the shopping platforms, and if you're looking for love, you'll be look- drawn to the platforms that are about making personal connections. So I don't think it's just about gaming. It's just gaming is kind of the industry that is rolled out of. Let me let me put this in a different way、um, because. I I have said on the show before that Snow Crash is the book that has burned more money for Silicon Valley than any other book. But、um, you know th- this idea, or maybe people would be more familiar with、uh, Ready Player One, where this、yep. idea that you jack in and you put VR on, or even、um, the Matrix, or the Matrix, or whatever. Right. So in you, if if you were. <laughs> Uh, pitching a fund to me that was going to only invest in metaverse stuff.、Uh-huh. Can you what what would your pitch be beyond the idea that oh you can、uh, you know you can interact with your friends of course but also you can play these games like what is what is the other there there that is beyond IRL that the metaverse theoretically and and we don't maybe we don't know the answer to this but theoretically would solve. Product discovery,、um, you know, the same way that you and I, because it's just generationally programmed this way, we find about we find out about things 
on the 2D internet. We Google them, we read about them, we find them on Amazon. You can do the same thing in the metaverse, but instead of finding it by search terms or pictures, you're finding it like as you actually do things in the metaverse. You might happen upon a cool pair of shoes or an idea for a vacation. So product discovery is one. I think there's educational and, you know, the idea of attending like conferences and events, um, even mental health and wellness type um, events where it's about people communicating with other people in a slightly anonymous environment where you can, you can ask questions and do things through an avatar and not have to reveal your true identity. Um, there are certainly things that you can do professionally, like meetings, um, in, in the metaverse. I don't think anybody's totally cracked that code yet, but I can, I can already see, you know, Chris and I work on different coasts, but we work together if we could meet in the metaverse and it wasn't stupid. Um, I think, I think it, it would actually be really useful. Like, seeing people's hand gestures or being able to read social cues that they're ready to walk out of the room would be a really nice thing to be able to do. Um, you can't do that on zoom. So you, I think um, as there are lots of different ways that it, that it becomes valuable. I don't think we know them all today, but I think for sure retailers and consumer products are going to find a lot of utility there. Um, and then the whole meeting and event space concerts, that kind of thing for sure. Did you listen to, um, Casey Newton's interview with uh, Zuckerberg. I just pinned the tweet to it, but I'm curious if you, if you got a chance to listen to that. Me, I have not. Okay. And the reason why I bring it up, and by the way, that's totally fine, um, is, is because of the way in which like Zuckerberg, you know, one lays out, you know, his vision for the metaverse and two talks about how, you know, he wants people in the future to think about Facebook as the metaverse company, which I think has so many interesting ramifications. And uh, in, in terms of a zig and a zag and in the way that, you know, mm-hmm. he, definitely kind of, you know, is like tricky dick, like Nixon kind of thing where it's like, it just nothing really sticks because he's sort of skating to on the one, on the one hand, like where the puck is going, but based on where everyone else has already decided to go and, you know, then take credit for it. I, I'm sorry, too much pontificating. My, my question was really about how he seems to be thinking about uh, the, the metaverse as being a place for work and especially either in the remote era or, you know, obviously with the investment in Oculus or the fact that, and I think this is part of the question that I have for you, especially as, you know, someone who is thinking about investing in real estate in the metaverse is to what degree does the metaverse verse need to become that place where you are spending, you know, most of your screen time engaged in this kind of, you know, three-dimensional immersive environment and then you sort of, I don't know why you come back to the real world because the, the real world and physics become a lot less interesting, but um, like, does it have to be a place where you're serving many of those functions that you just described in order for it to become a commercially viable context? Or can it just be a place for, you know, young kids to hang out in, you know, after school, um, you know, and parents, you know, blow up some steam in Fortnite or, you know, blow some stuff up and then, you know, other architects or whatever come in and do a little bit of work. Like how multivariant does the set of experiences that the multiverse has to support need to be there in order for it to become something of a pop culture phenomenon, given what you said about the design of placefulness or of, of, of spaces? Well, first of all, you just coined a new word. I don't know if you noticed that you called it a multiverse, which I think is interesting. We should, we oh. should start tweeting hmm. that. That was a good one. Hmm. But I think it's going to be like social media. For some people, social hmm. media is a completely addictive drug that subsumes their entire life and they can't go a minute without seeing how many likes they're getting or what their follower count is at. And for other people, you know, and maybe it's age and generational, they log on once every few weeks and they're completely content with that level of interaction. I don't, hmm. I don't think it's one size fits all. I think that's true of all technology. For some people, it is a solution to all of their problems. And for other people, it's just like sprinkles on the cupcake. So I don't think it has to be everything for everybody. 
in order for there to be validation that this is absolutely the direction things are headed in. Um, on the topic of Mark Zuckerberg and why he made the announcement, it kind of vaguely reminded me of when Overstock.com decided to become a crypto company. You know, it felt a little bit like, <laughs> like he was piling on to a trend. And I wonder uh. if part of that was because maybe the Facebook demographic is starting to age out and, and he's getting bored with the prospects of just, you know, riffing on Instagram and Facebook and is looking for a new challenge, which I fully respect. But it did feel a little bit like um, he's kind of coming late to the game. I don't think that in any way changes or dilutes how strongly I feel that this is where things are headed. But for Mark Zuckerberg, who's usually at the fore of things, it, it did feel like an, it was an announcement. It was maybe two or three months later than you would have expected mm -hmm. it to be if it wanted to come across as really authentic. Well, or, you know, God forbid anybody, any CEO of a major company um, is like, uh, don't look at this over here. Look at this over here. Cause, exactly. Uh, you know, well, yeah. Right. That's what yeah. I was suggesting, right? And don't actually, look at quarterly earnings. Yeah. Working yeah, yeah, a metaverse yeah, yeah. company. Exactly. Well, that Facebook doesn't have to worry about that, but maybe there's something else that we're not yet seeing. Well, no, but he did like in the earnings call, he did warn people that the Apple ad tracking uh, stuff is going to kick in and that, yeah. you know, will both cause ads to become more expensive and for revenue, I think, to go down. Um, right. And for so the, the so, quality of tracking. To, so that's that's one of the questions that I want to get to, which is once is, you're in the metaverse. I presume, you know, I don't know how much Web3 stuff is happening to preserve privacy and, and so on and so forth, but that everything is actually going to be tracked. And from an advertising perspective, you know, you mentioned product discovery. It feels like that is definitely going to be one of the elements of this. And given can where I, we can are. Can I interrupt, Chris? Because yeah, yeah, this is 100% what I wanted to ask. Go, go, um, go. So Zuckerberg in the, in the interview with Casey Newton is describing the metaverse as the next platform beyond the mobile web, right? Um, but the web functions, maybe not as much as it did, or maybe it never really did, as something that nobody owns all of it, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's based on open standards. People can own pieces of it. And even in the metaverse, the whole idea of the metaverse, even going to snow crashes, you can, earn, you can, you can own real estate in the metaverse. But it's, uh, what, uh, what I'm curious about, Janine, is if we're moving towards the metaverse are the ideas of it being built on open standards that everyone can play it? I feel like Zuckerberg in that interview made a lot of hand waving towards that. He talked about it. Yes, but um, is this a thing where everybody is rushing to build their own walled gardens and call it the metaverse? Or, or what, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's why there's been such a gold rush in the metaverse recently, and that's because of the addition to a blockchain to it and this whole concept of decentralization because of that fear. And, you know, Facebook is not a decentralized company by any stretch. What gives people some comfort is a bit of this hope that there will be interoperability. There isn't like unilateral control over the technology. Somebody can't yank the keys from it and decide to shut it down tomorrow. In theory, all of those decisions have to be made by the decentralized governance body, and, and that gives people comfort and more they, more of a feeling of security that allows them to invest ever larger amounts of money. Um, and I think, you know, when you when you hear about a company like Facebook kind of owning the platform and owning the technology, it is outside the ethos of the entire crypto ecosystem. It's not clear to me today, honestly, whether the metaverse is going to be all about crypto. Uh, my Republic realm is very focused on the crypto aspect of things, not exclusively, but for the most part, that is where we are placing most of our bets today. But I'm not convinced that it will be exclusively a crypto-based metaverse and that the crypto aspect is what really is going to make the metaverse sing. 
But I think given where the market is, people are more skeptical of platforms like Facebook or even Fortnite, where there is this idea that you could buy something there and you can never get it out. Or you can you run the risk that that game falls out of favor mm. and the assets that you've built up there become worthless because people stop playing Fortnite. And there's no way to move those assets into a different game. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Chris, forgive me one one more. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit here because I'm gonna put on the history hat. But um <laughs> People, people that have read my book know that like I made the point super, super strong that like everyone thought that the information superhighway was a thing. Bill Gates and and the cable companies were going to make um, you know interactive TV and broadband and stuff. All all of that was going to happen, but they were going to control it. They were going to they were going to these partnerships together, and it was going to happen in, in after the year two thousand. Which, by the way, they were right about. That's when broadband and all that stuff mm-hmm. came around. The thing that they missed was that something came along before they were ready to hand deliver this vision to consumers called the web that was just good enough, right? Mm. And that's what they didn't see in 1993, 1994, is that the web, as dumb as it was, as probably not ready for uh, prime time for normal consumers as it was, was good enough for people to adopt it 
is when you talk about things like Fortnite and things like that, like if, if we've got Zuckerberg and people like that saying how great the metaverse is going to be, is this just another example of where, by the way, the metaverse is probably already happening in various corners of the world. That's just good enough for the people that are already into it. And, and we don't have to make these great pronouncements of how great it's going to be because it'll get there and it's already getting there for, for certain people. Um, you know, there is a platform, of course, the name escapes me in Korea, that's really large and very widely adopted that is a metaverse. And of course, I can't think of the name. I'm trying to Google it while you are talking. Um, but but even, and, and I'm using, I'm using Fortnite. That's a gaming, I'm thinking of Roblox. That's a gaming thing. But these ideas that like, where it's like, well, it has to be completely immersive and completely, um, uh, you know, convincing and things like that. Whereas people can run around and do their dumb little dances on Fortnite, and that's enough for right now. Like, it's it's sort of that idea that you don't have to wait for technology to be perfect. It can be good enough for it to be adopted and then get traction even before it's ready. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. I can't think of any really good examples of how that is the case. Um, but I definitely agree with the phenomenon generally. Well, one of the things uh, that I thought was really interesting about uh, Zuckerberg's uh, comments, and, and and this sounds like a change in his attitude. And, and by the way, I want to like kind of, you know, as, a, as as an aside, point out that prior to the metaverse, he was talking about social audio, like that was his big jam. And I feel like he's already realized that, you know, I mean, granted, we're doing social audio to some degree now, you know, Clubhouse is not as, as big as a competitor as maybe he thought. And so that was sort of like the pivot towards the metaverse. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But one of the things he did talk about was about economic opportunity and about the ability for people to contribute or to build in this space. And so, Brian, like I hear what you're saying in terms of um, things being, you know, they don't need to be, you know, perfect or this immaculate like conception or presentation for it to attract a large number of people to get excited about it. However, basic things, and I think Roblox is actually a really good example of this, you know, as well as Minecraft, you know, considering how primitive those things look relative to the um, amazing kind of like 4K, 8K games, you know, World of Warcraft and stuff like that. Kids like have no problem having fun and a good time in that largely, I would say, because of the ability for them to manipulate the environment, to build things for each other, to co-create with each other in the way that the web allowed us to do that, too. Right. Like I, I mean, I remember <laughs> to date myself, I had like a, a homepage on AOL. Um, but you know, like similar with MySpace, there was a degree to which you could modify and manipulate the environment for self-expression, but it wasn't as full featured as setting up, you know, an FTP server where you could put an HTML file and own the entire experience. So my question actually to sort of change or tweak the direction of what you're asking, Brian, is what is the, the good enough level of con construction or manipulation or creation or co-creation that needs to be available and how interoperable or portable does it need to be in order to start creating a type of virtuous cycle where a bunch of these multiverses start to maybe interoperate or move together? For example, if I create a skin in Minecraft or a castle that's amazing – and my friend, who's a Roblox player and who I know through Roblox, wants to buy it. Is there some either cross multiverse kind of uh, currency that allows that exchange to happen? Is there a format or a structure? I mean, we're you know mostly talking about polygons, so it's like, can I move that structure from one place and, from an NFT perspective, kind of burn it 
in the Minecraft land so that it shows up in the Roblox land as the one and only castle that I have created. And so you're moving these artificially scarce objects around that are being created by essentially the players of this space. And that creates a whole new set of opportunities and ways of playing that doesn't really, or at least is starting to um, reduce on kind of like the open web. Well, you cannot you cannot move things between Fortnite and Minecraft today, mm-hmm. um, but that is why people get so excited about the concept of NFTs. So right. the whole point of an NFT is that you can declare yourself the owner, prove it in a way that everybody agrees is in fact the truth, and move that asset around between different places. You can show it on OpenSea, but you can also put it in a gallery in Decentraland, and you can take it with you to... Um, you, you can own an Axie and play Axie Infinity with it and nobody debates that it's yours and you can move it around and show it off in different places. And so that is yet another reason why there is so much capital flooding into the space today is because the whole concept of an NFT has eliminated some of that friction and, and made, made it so that we don't just have to sell things on eBay and figure out like a janky way of passing ownership between Fortnite skins across different platforms. The NFT model actually allows you to do it and there's infrastructure already in place for you to do it. Yeah, but I I mean, there's still multiple blockchains, though, so I worry about that, too, where it's like, well, uh, you know, but go on. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, and then the the concept of the photoreal rendering, you, you made the point that Minecraft and Roblox look very primitive, and again, it's interesting. I think it's, I do look, children are doing today because I think it's a very good indicator of what's going to happen in the future, but I will say, what eight-year-olds want to spend their time doing is not the same as what 18 or 28-year-olds want to spend their time doing. And my daughter specifically, who's completely addicted to Roblox, has said to me point blank, she actually prefers the games where the rendering is blocky and pixelated. She doesn't yeah. like the photo real games. Um, and, and that is intentional. First of all, it renders faster. So as you yep. move around and walk around, the buildings appear much faster in the games. Well, it works on cheap devices that a lot of kids have too. Yeah. And and they prefer, I think mentally the idea of Mm -hmm. building cubes that are stackable is much easier for a child to grasp. Now, I don't know. Again, my point is, I don't know if that works for a 28 year old. Mm. You know, when I look at Minecraft, I think, wow, that looks like a mess. Um, (laughs) But, but I am also not a 28 year old who grew up and spent my 10 formative childhood years playing in Minecraft. So the world might look different to a person that was groomed with those visual cues than it would be for somebody like me who was raised looking at catalogs that had photographs on them. So Yeah, but also, I mean, listen, I'm old enough to remember uh, playing multiplayer games that were purely text-based. <laughs> like, so, like, you know, the, the, these concepts don't have to, they don't have to live and die by the fidelity of, um, of the graphics. Or again, like this idea that it has to be immersive. You don't have to have um, Ready Player One, where it's just like I'm completely lost in the world for the metaverse to be uh, meaningful to people. Uh, Chris, I just sent you the link. Are you aware of Axie Infinity? Just as an aside, right? I don't know if this is the one um, that Janine was talking about. I I have not yet read um, Packy's um, uh, I guess teardown of this. Uh, I did. Yeah, and I haven't mentioned it on the show, but yeah. it is fascinating. I pinned the tweet, so if you guys want to go check it out. Um, but my understanding, actually. Okay, this is. I'm sorry. This is a little bit of a non sequitur to some degree, but it 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 is getting to. I think I don't know if I call it like a thesis, but a question um, because of the way in which social media is participatory. You know, one of the one of the things that has always guided my thinking about social design and creating technology for people is 
what I think of as generativity. In other words, the ability for individuals to contribute to or change or modify, not just like aspects of the game, but like the rules of the game itself, or to fork the game and create an entirely new set of experiences based on either different primitives or different assumptions. And the way or the place where you see that the most and with the most richness and vibrancy, I would say, is in the open source world. And so this uh, Axie Infinity concept. Again, I, I, I'm not going to try to speak out of turn, but I will reference one thing that I experienced last night very randomly, um, which is that um, Pablo Stanley, who's this amazing, great designer, he runs something called Blush. Um, he started out, I want to say maybe two years ago or something, building first, first I think, Sketch plugins and then Figma plugins that allow you to kind of auto-generate different characters kind of on the fly. Now, you can imagine that this is applied to sort of concepts like cyberpunks and, and things like that, um, that of course have NFT values. Well, he just did the same thing, and I'm going to have to find this tweet um, in a second, where he generated 10,000 unique animated GIFs using one of these same concepts or these same kind of, you know, substitution JavaScript frameworks that work inside of these uh, vector-based design programs and minted them on OpenSea. So he just created 10,000 of these new creatures that are infinitely reconfigurable, and they're all for sale. Um and I, I, forget, I, I calculated, I don't know if he, he just like minted like a billion dollars worth of new NFTs, but uh, this Axie Infinity thing feels very, very similar and very related um, because you are creating this kind of connection to these artificially scarce characters or creatures, and then they become their own kind of currency due to their uniqueness on the blockchain or expressed as an NFT. And then that allows you within these, the, met, the metaverses or the multiverses, to exchange things of different value between these different contexts. So I'll find a link to it and I'll share it. But that to me at least was my read or sort of like high level um, impression of what Axie Infinity is doing. Yeah, Republic Realm, we're really, really excited about Axie Infinity. We started hearing about it actually on Twitter uh, and Discord back in March and April. And that's when we started averaging in and buying axes which axes are based on pokemon so they're these uh, like cute little cartoons and they mate with each other chris you would like that part <laughs> and, and, sorry. and they and when they mate they have traits and some of the traits are more rare so you can breed them and as you breed them you get you know a brood and if you're lucky you get a rare one and then the rare one can be bred and, and yes, you okay. have this whole economy you're right the whole mating on, thing in that, in that sense yeah yes. and so and mm -hmm. so that is the crux of axie infinity and what's been interesting and why it's been getting so much press is because people have figured out you get paid uh, when you buy and sell axes in the native currency of Axie Infinity. And then that currency is, is you can trade it for dollars or, or whatever your fiat currency of choice is. And so people in the Philippines, where the cost of living is relatively low, mm. have figured out how to make wage playing Axie Infinity. And so call centers are now filled with gamers oh playing Axie totally. Infinity and breeding axes. And it's, and, and it's actually been like a really positive story. And now you have companies setting up scholarship funds to educate the gamers on how to play so that people can go and play Axie and make a living wage breeding Pokemons in a call center. And it all, I mean, if you want to talk about dystopian, that really is starting to sound weird, but it's interesting. And, it, and I think there are things we can learn from that about play to earn and about, you know, where culture takes shape and where the metaverse is going to start. And, you know, we all thought it was going to be Decentraland or Second Life, Second Coming. Mm -hmm. And instead it's this, you know, relaunch of Pokemon with a slightly different spin and it's happening in the Philippines. Well, um, and, and 
And not to be too gross about it, but the thing that blew people's hair back was according to, and I'm, I've only got Packy's info on this, but like in April, Axie did about $670,000 in revenue. In May, it did $3 million in revenue. In June, it did $12.2 million in revenue. And then in July, it did over $100 million in revenue. Wow. So wow. in three months, from $670,000 in revenue to over $100 million, uh, that's quite a graph. That's a, anyway, I know that's and they're, gross, and they're but to, their token that, that, um, is up about 400% in the past month. It's up 7,000% since January. Of wow. This which year. token is this? It's AXS. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So uh, like one thing that I want to add into this, and I'm sorry, this is like, you know, my mind kind of, you know, goes around a bunch of different things, but I was listening to, uh, the daily podcast, uh, I believe yesterday. Um, and it was, uh, yesterday or two days ago. Anyways, it was talking about the problem with the labor shortage in the U.S. And there are a couple interesting pressures that I think are worth bringing up. And Brian, you kind of alluded to it in a, in a way. You know, first, at least in the U.S., you know, people are getting unemployment six hundred bucks a week. It's a good amount of money. Maybe it's you know a little bit less than or more than what they were making previously when they you know had a, a, a regular job. And those regular jobs were mostly for, you know shit. And people don't want to go back to them. You know, they 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 were getting you know burns from like the oil in like the kitchen and you know like the the guests treat them like shit and all this stuff. They're like, why would I go back to that when the government is giving me all this free money? And now, you know, Brian, as you just alluded to, you know, there are these call centers in the Philippines, you know, with tens of thousands of people who are probably, you know, essentially trying to weed out the, the terrible give, stuff on give social Janine media. Give credit for that. Janine oh, said that. Yes. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, happy to give Janine credit for that. Um, and as a result, we have all this surplus human capital that is like largely underutilized providing, you know, support, you know, queries for people whose iPhones, you know, got flushed down the toilet or something. And they're finding that they're able to make more money through these virtual online digital economies. And so one, I think that's a really kind of interesting moment now where the pandemic gives everyone this opportunity to kind of like stop, slow down, take a break from whatever rat race they were, they were on and find something else to do. And there are these huge platforms that are coming out that are giving people a whole new economic way to participate and to make a reasonable amount of money that wasn't available before. And the third thing that I'll add to this, and Janine, I don't know if you have followed this, um, and I, I've sort of only caught the high level of this, and, and Brian has been talking about this on the show a little bit, is just what is going on with China and how they're cracking down on, um, one, the technology platforms, but two, recently, they've just in, in introduced a number of laws forbidding uh, especially young people from spending too much time playing video games on a weekly or daily basis. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's like two hours a week or something like that. Um, and you can get, you know, really in trouble. You can like lose access to the metaverse basically, uh, or to China's version of the metaverse. If you get caught playing down or, or playing too much stuff. So I guess I'm just trying to think about how those things all come together. Well, we, I actually work really closely with our Shanghai based team and I know, and I, I honestly hadn't heard about the video gaming crackdown. I know that they've been shutting down companies, but I hadn't heard that they were trying to limit individual users time spent, but people in China are just as excited about the metaverse as they are everywhere else. And metaverse fever has taken over China. Um, and, and despite the capital restrictions there, uh, wealthy Chinese are looking to move money out of China and invest in metaverse plays. Mm. Um, so I, I, I don't really have more color on it than that, but I think the appeal is, is broad. It's not, it's not limited to American or Western taste or access to really strong Wi-Fi. It's, it's everybody wants to interact with the internet this way and, and play, play to earn games and be a part of a community and 
Like there's just a lot of different reasons why it's so compelling. You see this with all these NFT projects too. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of Board Ape Yacht Club. It's kind of like Axie, right. except it's not interactive. Yes, yes. You just buy it and you hold it, but they created this idea of a community and they made a bathroom where you can graffiti on the wall of the bathroom. That's literally the, the hook. And because of that, um, people perceive there to be this sense of belonging that you have when you own a board ape and it's honestly blown up the internet. Now your board ape can have a dog and your board ape can buy a boat. And, um, none of it really makes any sense in the abstract, but I think the pandemic made us all want to connect to people in, in ways and, and we've had to do it virtually. And, and because of that, because of NFTs, because of all these things and the confluence of these things happening at the same time, you have these like kind of strange phenomenons that are uh, like, Board apes are trading for thirty and fifty thousand dollars for for what is effectively a JPEG of a of a cartoon gorilla. So um, none of it makes sense if you think about it. But it you know in the abstract, when you think about it anthropologically, it's it's actually really interesting, and, and you can see why it's happening now. Can I can I give you one more devil's advocate because that's kind of kind of what we're poking at a little bit here. <laughs> Even when we say, "Ha ha," uh, Mark Zuckerberg is talking about the metaverse because. Probably next quarter, you know, uh, Apple's iOS stuff is going to cut into their ad revenue and things like that. Um, but I've been around long enough to be like, every time people say, oh, yeah, the mobile web, it's, it's, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it never happens, and it does. Or, 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 or video on the web, it's never going to happen, it's never going to happen. Or it, it, it's, it's happening, it's happening, it never happens, and then YouTube and Netflix come along, and then everyone is like, oh, yeah, that was always going to happen. Like, there was an article that I almost did this week about how um, VR is like the fail son. Do you know that term? Uh, uh, like the, hmm. the, the, the rich kid that, can, that never has to actually make good because it's, uh, the, the parents are always making excuse for it. But the thing that I would say is that for all of these technological advances, it's all it's it's kind of always waiting for the thing that will trigger it mm. happening. Like for for the mobile web, it, you needed Wi-Fi and and ubiquitous um, uh, better broadband in terms of digital networks. For 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 web video, you needed broadband as well. Like so, uh, Janine, do you think? that there is some sort of technological breakthrough, be it a gadget, be it something that we're still waiting on before the metaverse will become completely obvious, like things like the mobile web or web video uh, have been over 20 years? I'm much more skeptical about how important VR is to the metaverse, but, but I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm an expert there. I think some of that might be generational. But I, like you, have watched people get excited about VR for a decade now, and it's always been, like, you. what was your, you called it a fail son? It's, it's like, right, always, right. almost there. It's, it's, the, it's, the rich oh. kid that can never, like, like oh, he's going to come good someday, just just give it's him another be, chance. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I think if we can figure out how to make a VR uh, headset that looks like the Google Glass, then there's a chance that it will <laughs> become more widespread. But as long as you have to strap like a 1980s era cell phone to your face. Um, and now I was reading a story today that they're causing rashes. The latest Oculus uh, release like causes some sort of skin rash on your face. Like the, 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 the technology, the thing itself is just too cumbersome. And Facebook I don't know is an need, STD. That's, that's all we need Facebook, to know. Basically, I don't know that you need to have you know, with a 3D experience. Remember when 3D TV was a thing? And oh, that was for like also five minutes. like perfect, 
Or Perfect like, example. Exactly. Like, and even movies, like IMAX movies, where you have to wear the glasses. Like, a movie is just as good without it popping off the screen. I, I, I can enjoy the movie just as much. Now, maybe people said that about black and white films before color, but I, I actually think this is different. I don't think I need it to be three D for me to lose myself in the story or or spend hours on the internet scrolling. Um, so I don't think the three D component is that critical. Personally. Well, and, and and that's kind of the point that I was making is that I remember in like 2001 when my brother got a phone where he could look up the baseball scores on his phone. I was like, why do I need that? I can just go to my computer, my desktop, and look up. <laughs> it, 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 but it took a thing like the iPhone and you know ubiquitous 3G, ubiquitous Wi-Fi for it to be like, oh right, duh. And so that's what I'm wondering is that. And this is just a gut thing is that like while I believe that the metaverse and this comes back to even my idea that maybe it'll be just good enough before it becomes ubiquitous. But I'm just I feel like there's still some shoe to drop, whether it be a gadget, whether it be a technology or something before the metaverse is really ready for prime time. Well, and I'm trying to think of like in the past, what have been the impetus for different like technology adoptions? And it's oftentimes like things that are very base, right? Like I made the joke earlier about porn, but isn't it? And I wasn't there at the very beginning of the internet, but people yeah, will yeah. say that that is what drove the internet forward. It might be something like sports or gambling. You know, if we figure out how to make spectator sports, like I, I could see a situation where you're watching a basketball game and you can kind of hover over it and fly around it in the metaverse type thing, as opposed to watching it in 2D. That could be kind of cool. Um, kind of the way that NFTs are suddenly what people are saying might be the killer usage for blockchain. You know, it's actually... You actually kind of sort of need it um, as opposed to all of the other crypto applications, which are very tenuous at best. So I don't know. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's I, I don't know. I actually don't know what I don't know if it's a device. I don't know if it's a te- it's more of a technology enhancement or it's just some sort of content that actually feels better and works better in a 3D environment. I, I, I don't know. But that's what I think is so exciting about this space. And every day we're learning something new and the ingenuity of the human mind becomes really clear when you're at the outset of an industry like this, the culture of the industry is taking shape and, and we're going to see amazing things. I just don't know what they are yet today. You know what, just to like, I guess, uh, drop in here one more thought. Um, it feels like, and I, I think I'll go back to like one of my earlier points. And I think we, we've been sort of like, you know, regressing back to saying it will be something that's just germane. That's something just, you know, kind of basic about it. And yet draws you in, it pulls you in. And when I think back to the early days of social media, um, it wasn't, and I think, mm, maybe the metaverse is going to be a little bit more about that feeling of belonging. And I know that Zuckerberg used like presence as one of the core distinguishing experiences of it. You know, you talked about porn being kind of like the thing that led, um, you know, people to, to kind of like use the internet because suddenly you had an explosion of, well, I, I mean, like it took a while for there to be an explosion of content like that, that was available, but it was much easier to access than, you know, your sort of smutty neighborhood magazine store or, you know, HBO late at night or, you know, whatever it was. And in a similar way, I do think that people are craving like real presence the ability to occupy a space with somebody else in silence and have a sense that they're also there. And from what I understand, there's a lot of young people who are, you know, behaving in that way right now. You know, they're, they're going into the metaverse to be around people, but not to necessarily interact with other people. We've been talking a lot about the first person experience and the rendering and the graphics and all that. And I feel like it's actually much more primitive and that's going to be the thing that drives people in because I can imagine a student, you know, or like myself, like sitting in a classroom, you know, in high school, tell me, um, 
where can people find out more about what you're doing? Um, what type of stuff should people, you know, reach out to you about? What kind of things are you interested in, in, in chatting about? Sure, Placefulness so through presence will be what com. I guess um, flips that next generation, you know, over into a regular user of that environment. Designer or developer so that maybe, maybe that's where it's projects or you're a company that's trying to figure out how to get into the metaverse. You know, it sounds exciting, but <laughs> sure. you don't really know what to yeah, do about yeah. it. I mean, in, in many um, respects, we can help um, you okay. We, we've been going for, for quite a while. Uh, um, and, and I did notice, you know, there, there was company, one so folks or, or one person that, that, um, with everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features Features, help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Awesome. And I'll also add Remy. Remy actually had a question before also. Oh, Remy had a good question um, actually about who's going to write the rules. This is a whole part of the Zuckerberg conversation, but uh, Remy, you want to say hi? Hi. So mine is, a, I guess, a more pointed question. I've actually been thinking about it since you mentioned this at the beginning, Janine. Um, how do you feel the metaverse has changed how your kids interact with people? Oh, good one. Mm. How does it, how do I feel how it, how they interact with me? Is that the question? Probably in general, right? Like how yeah, in general, like yeah. people in general, but I, if you have experience, like if it's changed how they interact with you, I think that also applies. Honestly, My opinion, 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's terrible. I mean, they, they become like they become like little brats. Like like what happens when you take a crack pipe away from a, from a crack addict? They like spit and scream. It's so addictive. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. I don't think their brains are. Hmm. Um, I, I see how addicted I am to my phone, and they'll be very quick to quick to point out. You know, mom, you're just as addicted to your phone. And I, my retort is always, "Well, but my brain is already fully formed, and you're still going." <laughs> right, mine can't get screwed um, up anymore. Yeah, or whatever. The damage is already done here, but it's, I don't think it's great. But I, I, I don't think I can fight it. I tried to fight it, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, this year has been Oof. weird, where every kid in America has been forced. We used to, we didn't allow technology in our oh, life. yeah. We're, anti-technology and then school went online mm. how do you what do you see? you yeah. can't police a child um who is you know 11 years old or 10 years old and make sure that they're only doing schoolwork once you give them a laptop and so yeah, pandemic, yeah. i know when i was a kid like the rules i think it's actually yeah i know when i was a kid we didn't have like internet and i didn't have access to the internet until like yeah. middle or high school and now, like, every kid in America, like, the New York City public school system went around and, like, installed internet in people's homes so that their kids could get online. So we've, we've like, we've helped this trend along, and I'm not sure it's necessarily a positive one, but I think it's already, the wheels are already in motion. And I don't, I think the, what's the, what's that metaphor about Pandora's box? The box mm-hmm. has already been yeah. opened. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think, I think they will learn to moderate. I hope they will. But what I see happening to their brains and the level of addiction and how no real world toy or book or even human interaction can really compete with the sensory stimulation they get playing in the metaverse. And that's that's the scary Ready Player One version of the future. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Bit of a follow up. Well, if you don't mind me asking, what part, what generation are you a part of? What generation am I a part of? I guess I'm a, I'm an aging out millennial slash gen x yeah, what, are, so, what are you, you? i'm gen z like i'm on the older side of gen z and, um, ha- and, ha- well, and how much do you weigh <laughs> i'm currently like i'm just like while, while while we're asking revealing personal questions i just figure i might as well do the asking as well yeah so <laughs> In the no, metaverse, I don't um, weigh anything, so there. The, the reason I asked was, like, you uh, remember when, uh, I guess, when we were relatively kids in the internet, there, there was a lot of discussion about, like, parental controls. Mm-hmm. What do you think that looks like for the metaverse? I mean, my son can code. He can use a computer better than I can. <laughs> Any kind of parental control, he, he can... It's more like child, child control on the parent. All you're doing is just making their job more fun. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a puzzle to figure out tomorrow's tomorrow's programmer so you know i guess if your kid is dumb it's easier but um <laughs> you basically I, I just giving them a game to play before the game essentially yeah exactly exactly <laughs> right. and then and then they really do like they're like nah nah you look what i did and then so, they're like i earned this <laughs> exactly i think something more like biometric you know measurement where it's like we've seen these eyeballs for two hours today it's time to shut off the device you know something that they really can't just hack, but I've kind yeah. of given up, honestly. Can I um, can I make a comment real quick, and then uh, Chris, if you want to wrap, um, yep. just yep. Uh, as a as another parent and as a proud card carrying member of Gen X, um, mm-hmm. where where uh, 
when we were kids, it was understood that our parents didn't understand computers. So it was completely on us. That's kind of why I love the internet and computers because yeah. it was something that I could do that they had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the, at the same time, I've had play dates where my seven year old sits there next to another seven year old on their iPad playing Minecraft next to each other. Yep. And they're just sitting there on their iPads. Um, but at the same time, here, here, this is the point that I want to make, is it is a generational thing where it's like um, some of the best memories that I had coming up as a kid was playing PC games and, and Nintendo games and things like that t together. But at the same time, the thing that I'm trying to do with my kids is it's like if it's creative – then I'm into it, right? Mm -hmm. So that where if it is a if if there are if if they're playing with their cousins in Michigan on Minecraft and they're cooperatively building a castle or something like that, like I feel like then I know that this is I know how maybe this will piss people off, but like they could be sitting there together playing Legos and making a castle. Right? Mm -hmm. So if it's creative, the way that I, as a parent, am trying to think about it is, then that is, that's expressive, that's creativity, that is also cooperative, that is also social, you know what I mean? Um, so it's, it, I get more pissed when they sit there and they watch, because they will watch YouTube for six hours straight someone else playing minecraft yeah yeah that's the, that's, that's the lowest form that i can't i, I can't stand <laughs> that yeah 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 but, but you i mean it's a i don't know sorry you guys are the parents you guys can talk about it hey, but i sometimes i think about like remember when we were kids the amount of and i don't know if boys were the same but i would spend hours talking on the phone hundred percent. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Like we watched sports, you know, back when like, we had a nice landline, yeah. we watched movies. Watched, didn't like, you watch like WWF? I mean, there's nothing <laughs> totally. worse and more mindless than that. I mean, I watched boomerang. So it was like <laughs> Tom and Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think the critiques of the dumb things children do to pass the time, that's, that's one of those conversations that's been happening for yeah. a really long Eternity. time. Eternity. Yeah. And this is just our new thing to be like, yeah. Oh, these kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you Remy. kids and your pinball, that pinball's, you know, destroying <laughs> yeah. your mind, right? So. Or when they invented anyway. the top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this right, is really fun, guys. Thank this you. This is great. Thank you so much for yes. coming. Um, this is another great episode. You know, I always learn a lot. I always talk too much, and I appreciate everyone who sticks around and indulges me um, in that. Um, I will try to cut myself off. A little more. No, no, wait, 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 Chris. Hold yeah. on. I, I've got a, I've got a topper for you, and this is okay. maybe just for you and me personally. But <laughs> okay. Because I, I offline said to you, don't ask people three questions at once or whatever. So <laughs> I feel like, I feel like. Sorry, I, Janine said I, it too. I was trying to be. She's like, you're that guy that makes a 10 minute comment before he gets to his question. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, but I do that too. I ramble on. But here's, here's, since we're talking about like, sure, modern life and mm -hmm. society. Like, so you were on vacation last week, and you know what I realized? And I thought about this um, in the shower right before we were doing this. Mm. I missed talking to you last week. Oh, oh. I, I, like, seriously, because you were out of, like, I'm used to you and I, and you and I have never, well, no, we did meet in person. We did. I interviewed we in met, person. yeah. We, right, we, right. Mm -hmm. Just once. But, like, but, but I Brian, to you. Brian, yeah, prediction. 
you're going to miss talking to me next week. <laughs> there you go. But, but my point is, is that think of, think of this is what modern life is and maybe not for everybody, but Chris and I do a podcast once a week. I talk to Chris more than my brother. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, so we, we, I we invented our own metaverse. We are in the metaverse exactly. right now, Brian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Totally. You are. I, I, you know, so I I will say one thing and I appreciate Brian. I appreciate you saying that. I I feel very similarly. One of the things that uh, I once was told is that you're supposed to work with a therapist long enough until you essentially, this is going to sound wrong, but ingest that therapist's like way of thinking into your own brain so that when you are coming up upon the things that you're struggling with, you can hear your therapist kind of in your mind. And then that's when you've realized that you no longer need to see that therapist anymore. It, like when I realized that was like mind blowing. And so in a way, what I think is so great about our, you know, banter our interaction is there's probably nobody, you know, including your brother, although I haven't met your brother that will replace me in terms of this, you know, sort of soliloquious. I just invented another word, you know, sort of like rambling on and on and like sort of connects things and sort of like, you're like, Oh, right. That, Oh, that thing. And then, so I occupy that space for you in a very specific, I'm a very specific program that exists in your metaverse brain. And that's true. It's useful for me to come in and kind of, you know, defragment every now and then, and, you know, put things in the right place. And then I leave and then, you know, we come back. And so the answer is get yourself a podcast and get yourself a Chris because it's very useful. (laughs) It's therapeutic. You might say, yeah. Uh, well, amazing. Thank you everybody for showing up for our therapy um, session. We will be back here next week um, for roughly probably about the same amount of time. No idea what we're going to talk about. So if you guys have requests, um, let me know. Maybe I'll be a little less caffeinated next time, but we'll see. Um, anyways, this was the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. Thank you, Janine. And uh, Janine, everyone thank else you so much. Who You're joined welcome. us today. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.